fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is so great to be here. I learned something interesting this week. Um, it's hard to be scared if you truly don't believe in something. So we'll, we'll get into that a bit more. Um, I think that makes sense. Uh, I, I will tell you, it's easy to be scared when someone tells you something that cryptic. Okay. I will tell you that, that is also true. Uh, and I'm most scared of the the cryptiest member of the Brain Trust, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, what are the tales from the crypt up there on the Brain Station? You know, Dan, I'll get back to you in a second, because I've got some uh, strange folks outside in uh, spacesuits knocking on the airlock door. Uh, they, they say it's very important that I let them in, but uh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea at all, Ben. Um, send them into the airlock, shoot them out into the recesses of space, uh, because things can get dicey pretty quickly. Uh, and speaking of dicey, we, this is our Halloween episode, guys, and we are going to talk about a another M. Night Shyamalan movie. Who He's really won me around as a master of film and television, I have to admit, uh, with a couple of his other movies. And this one's called A Knock at the Cabin. Did I get that right? I did. Yeah. I kept calling it a knock at the door, knock at the cabin. And so roughly, in brief, you know, this is another apocalypse movie, Denon. I know that you love these. Uh, a group of people believe that the that they know when the apocalypse will happen, and they have to convince one person out of a couple to kill themselves in order to save the rest of humanity. That's the general gist of this movie. And, you know, we discuss apocalypses, apocalypse a lot on this show, Denon. And as you know, you must have loved that the main character of this movie is himself an apocalypse denier. Yes, because, you know, it, it really, you know, it was an interesting movie, Dan, because I had trouble really, you know, connecting with many of the characters. As I said, since I deeply do not believe in the apocalypse, it was hard to be scared by mm -hmm. this because it's, you know, mm -hmm. how do you get scared by something you don't believe in? Um, I, I was a little disturbed that the main apocalypse denier seemed a little angrier than I would be, though. Um, mm. And so it was even mm -hmm. hard to relate to him. I thought he was a little um, angry in his apocalypse denying. Um, you know, we apocalypse wow. deniers, we need to be calm, right? Because yeah. the whole thing about being against the apocalypse is to stay calm mm -hmm. and keep moving, right? Mm -hmm. Not to um, sure. panic and run and scream. Um, but yeah, it was a fascinating sort of interaction like if you deeply believe the apocalypse can't happen how do you handle this situation especially when some bad things were happening on the tv yeah exactly i mean yeah. i mean the scary the scary thing about this movie is that people do believe in the apocalypse if you, if you ask me <laughs> not the denial but that there are people so strong in their conviction that they will go to these lengths. And th that, to me, is what makes this movie scary. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. You know, I, there's a couple of interesting, you know, kind of philosophical questions that I think this movie raises that I wanted to talk to you guys about. That's what really kind of intrigued me. You know, and the first part is that these this group shows up, and in a strange way, they are well-meaning, normal, nice people who have been convinced of the fact that they have to, they have been gifted the the, the vision of what the apocalypse is, go, when it's going to happen, and how to stop it, right? Um, but you know, the choice that's being made here, you know, the, in this movie, the apocalypse hinges on a choice. So there's a couple that are confronted, and one of them must kill the other to save humanity, right? So it's one death. But the rest, you know, 8 billion people saved. Now, I thought this was an interesting question because I'll go first. If I was, you know, if this was a proposition that was posed to me, there's no way I'm killing myself or anyone else for the rest of humanity. Uh, you know, I, I'm a dog lover, not a people lover. You know me. Uh, you know, I'm the master misanthrope. So I'm, I'm definitely not doing this. So I hope the world, the history of the world doesn't rely on my choice. Uh, but then as an apocalypse denier, you know, uh, what would you do if, if given this choice? You know, it's an interesting question because obviously, you know, given this choice is one, I would deny the choice because I don't expect the entire world to be wiped out. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I do, I, I do believe, I do think, I, I don't know in the moment if I could do it. 
I can imagine situations where I'd have to sacrifice myself to save a larger number of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are enough people I care about um, in that Mm -hmm. larger group that mm-hmm. part of me imagines that I could possibly do that. And and certainly mm-hmm. it gets easier the older I get, Dan. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> with one foot in the grave, yeah, you're yeah, halfway I there. I feel like at some saying. point, you know, you know, this makes more sense. Um, <laughs> but it is right. it is an interesting, you know, it's one of these ethical dilemmas that have existed throughout, you know, I think the history of ethics. Um, you know, I in our in our you know discussion of this, I, I talked about it in terms of trains, and Ben reminded me that it's called the trolley problem, which right. I wonder what it was called before that. Maybe the chariot problem. Um, I assume <laughs> I think that's it, a British thing. Yeah, I, I assume you know, but you know, this idea of how many people, you know, dying are are you willing to like before you're willing to like maybe sacrifice yourself for them, um, is mm-hmm. a hard question, but. Yeah, it, it really is. This one, I, I was, it, it was tough because I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm with that one dude. I'm like, I would just not be convinced the apocalypse was coming. Um, yeah. I'd be convinced yeah. they were crazy. Yeah, and, and even as okay. it's going on, you still have the problem of how do you know they're right? Like, what if, what if? The, well, uh, well, let's well, hold on. Let's. I don't want to joke. That's my next okay. question. I probably should have asked that question first. Now, in <laughs> retrospect, but uh, but let's say Ben, you're given you're given the choice. Okay, yeah. uh, you can save humanity if you just kill Denon, uh, or or do you let Denon kill you? What are you, what are you doing? I mean, the, the problem is I don't believe them. I mean, uh, I mean that that's that's the right. thing that's really interesting. Like, e- yeah, you know you. Even if there's planes falling out of the sky, how do I know I'm truly the linchpin of this situation? Mm-hmm. So the answer is, so you wouldn't do it? No. Okay. So then, uh, so, so then, basically two out of three times humanity dies if they come to this yeah. group. Those aren't good numbers. Those are not like a number. Okay. So then let's, a- then let's ask the question I should have asked first. Okay. What would it take for you to believe that the world was ending around you, right? So in this movie, we see multiple times, uh, you know, the question is asked of this couple, I think four or five times, and, you know, every time they deny something bigger happens in the world, and that's kind of their proof, you know, um, whether it's earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, planes falling out of the sky, you know, uh, virus unleashed on the world. So uh, th- there's things that are happening, right? Um, but so let's go with you, with you, Ben. Um, since you just wanted to destroy my previous question, I put you on the spot for this one. Sure. What would it take to make you believe that the apocalypse was happening around you? Well, it's easy to believe the apocalypse is happening because you, you see the world coming to an end. Yeah. The apocalypse happening isn't the problem. The question okay. is whether you actually have any agency over it. Okay. In okay. my mind. Oh, so 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 you could be convinced that the apocalypse was happening. Well, whether it's an apocalypse or whether the world's ending, I think is kind of a different thing. I mean, I, okay. I think I can imagine lots of disasters happening that would be pretty good evidence that there's a pretty bad disaster happening. <laughs> yes. Whether it's whether it's like this biblical apocalypse kind of thing, that's that's a stretch. Well, no. So I so here's the thing that I found kind of brilliant about this movie, Dan, from this perspective okay. is I fundamentally do not believe in what many people call a, sort of a magical God in a magical world. I believe in the laws of physics, even though I also believe in God. That's the, you know, the strange thing about me that people can find out in my book, Divine Science, Finding Reason at the Heart of Faith, or a couple of episodes of Fascinating Nouns with the brilliant Daniel J. Glenn. Um, That's right. You know, right. that being said, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what, what I thought was interesting, like I was watching this movie, I was actually for most of it, convinced that the the people were going to turn out to be fake right like that was the twist for mm-hmm. me um mm-hmm. and and the first one was the, the earthquake tsunami thing where they turn it on and the first earthquake had happened four hours earlier i'm like right there right i'd be like mm-hmm. wait dudes you're nuts now <laughs> here's the yeah, thing yeah. right so uh-huh. earthquake and tsunamis virus and lightning would be like to me normal disasters kind of what ben said like a normal Mm -hmm. way for the world to end no way me killing someone could stop that the one that would have given me pause is if all the airplanes really started falling out of the sky that is a little bit harder to believe is a natural disaster like i have seen nothing to convince me of a magical kind of situation in the world 
But all those airplanes suddenly failing and falling out of the sky um, mm-hmm. is, is a trickier one to explain from purely science. So that sort of thing, something really magical in the apocalypse disasters yeah. Yeah. might convince me that something magical like me killing someone would stop them. So yeah. let me understand. So let me understand this correctly. So you don't believe in a magical god, correct? But but a magical a magical event that could only really be possible by a magical god would be the thing that would convince you that you had a part in the apocalypse. That 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 that's the logic. Yes, you, you nailed it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You. I, I mean, that, that, okay. I've broken Dan. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think mean, so. it's really well. While, while Dan's broken, I, I, I'll talk about the broken planes for a second because I, I think to me that seems like one of the more man-controlled things that could mm-hmm. be happening. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. how this couple in a cabin in the woods is mm-hmm. uh, controlling that, I don't. It seems impossible, but you know, it, it's not unreasonable for there to be some sort of industrial espionage <laughs> mm-hmm. that has, you know, put like a kill switch in every plane. So at the same time, they all just shut their engines off and, you know, the the flight computers in the airplane can't be rebooted. Like you could imagine some sort of way to do this. Um, it's implausible, sure. You know, it'd be very hard to access all these systems and corrupt every single plane on the right. planet. Right. But it's it's not... It is a technological solution that could exist for this disaster. Well, so this is what's interesting is I think on the spectrum of belief, right? I think Denon, despite his non-belief in a magical God uh, and also being Catholic, which I talk about, talk about, (laughs) uh, I can't reconcile that, but we're not talking about that right now. But you're on one end, Denon. I would say, Ben, you're on the other side where, you know, no matter what amount of evidence is presented to you, you would not believe this. So I am curious, what would that threshold be where you would know that I have a role to play in saving the world? I mean, that's the problem. You know, I I go, you know, to appreciate, you know, to go to Denon science here for a second instead of Mm -hmm. the engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not a testable thing. You can only have one apocalypse. (laughs) There's no way to prove, you know, there's no way to have repeated studies of me choosing to do something or not choosing to do something and seeing if the apocalypse happens or not. Right. Right. Exactly. That's not a a thing you can test. And so even I I don't know how you could prove that because I don't see a way to create an experiment that would show that I actually have an effect. Not prove it to the world, Ben. You personally. Same problem. Okay, okay I, fair if, enough. If if I shoot myself or shoot somebody and the world stops ending, okay. But how do I know someone else didn't do that? Yeah, I mean it's you know it's the famous question in The Simpsons uh, where you know Homer Simpson or Lisa presents this rock to Homer and says, "Hey, this this rock keeps away tigers." And he yeah. says, how do you know? And she says, well, you don't see any tigers around, do you? And he says, I'll buy your rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like a, kind of that. You are Lisa and I'm Homer. Wait, hold on. Does that work? That might be right. I don't know. Yeah. But you're definitely Lisa. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely the Lisa. <laughs> definitely Lisa. <laughs> this is one of those interesting questions. I do agree with Ben that you don't know it was you, per se. Yeah. But I will say one thing the show does very well Mm-hmm. is the suddenness with which all these things end once mm-hmm. they have made right. the sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. So there is at least an indirect evidence here post the event that you, mm-hmm. quote, made the right choice. Um, mm-hmm. you, you could very much, I mean, all of these things should not have stopped, right? The guy is on the roof of his house and he says, suddenly the water just stopped rising and went down. The plane mm-hmm. suddenly, mm-hmm. that any plane that has not fallen suddenly lands safely and everything works out. Um, mm-hmm. Suddenly nobody's dying anymore from the virus and, and the virus has stopped itself. And yeah. likewise, the lightning just stops. Now, yeah. it's the Those time are ridiculous. Scale. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. so that's a good, so, so what I'm saying is post doing the event. Okay. Y- you at least can say it, something stopped this magically. And so it's just mm-hmm. as likely that it was my sacrifice as something else. So there's a sort of a post the experiment. Um, mm-hmm. right. uh, it w- uh, the real bummer would be is if you do the sacrifice and the apocalypse keeps going, 
Um, mm-hmm. But in that case, you're all going to die anyway, so you just <laughs> save somebody a little time. Sure. Well, not necessarily. I mean, according to the prophets uh, here, those th- those they will they will somehow survive the apocalypse and be left to wander the wasteland. But well, no. Right. What, what I'm saying is, for a little if, bit. if there was a real apocalypse going on and you had no power to stop it, doing the experiment doesn't really hurt you that much because you all die anyway. Right. Sure. What, <laughs> what's interesting? What's interesting is that you know, Denon, you require some kind of magical source. Um, ben, you are unconvinced of this. <laughs> And for me, it's a, it's kind of a probability thing, right? Like if you turn on the news and all these things happen, it's like, what are the odds that there's a giant earthquake, a tsunami? I mean, look, in, in recent events here in Los Angeles, there was the first hurricane in 86 years. And during the hurricane, there was an earthquake, right? Now... <laughs> mm-hmm. There, I haven't fe- I haven't felt an earthquake in a long time, and I've lived here for a while, right? That was the first yeah. earthquake I felt in probably over a decade. Mm-hmm. What are the odds that in the middle of a hurricane that only happens once every hundred years that an earthquake, mm-hmm. a sizable earthquake, I feel, right? Those odds are crazy. You know, are they yeah. apocalypse level probability? No, but those are the types of things that I could be, when you start having those types of weird coincidences, then I can start to be yeah. convinced, right? So were you looking for someone to sacrifice, Dan, to stop the earthquake and yes. hurricane? Yes, I was Is that what you were telling us? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was considering it, Denon. <laughs> I know. I know this is this is probably seismically completely wrong, but I imagine the hurricane somehow lubed up the Earth, and that's why we had the earthquake. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it works, but I do love that you're I, always I looking for an explanation. Works, but uh, you know, yeah. it's something. But that's magical, right? So even look, look how amazing this has been. Even in your yeah. quest to prove that an apocalypse can't happen, you're still going to magical thinking for a reason why it couldn't happen. This is kind of interesting human psychology. In, in my opinion, uh, but, but to, I, I think it's just a fun theory, but sure. Uh, no, it's a super fun theory, um, but it's, it's more fun <laughs> to, to, to think that, you know, there's no way that either one of you could be convinced outside of magic. Um, but here's the here's the thing that I think is interesting. So probability, right? I, I did. I crunched a couple of numbers here very briefly, you know, because I am not. So so they could be wrong. But, you know, when you look at, you know, what are the odds that you win the Powerball? Winning the Powerball is one out of 300 million, which is roughly the population of the United States, which is true because I guess one person wins it every time. Uh, The chances of being the Messiah, if you don't take into account a time period, the chances would be how many people are on the earth? A billion? Eight billion? So the chances of you being the Messiah are one in eight billion, right? So significantly (laughs) lower. And that's the same chance you have as being Tom Cruise or LeBron James. Right. So so these types of numbers, I think, are the first things that would pop into my head if a group came to me and said, hey, you you can stop the apocalypse. I'm not you know, I pretend to be a megalomaniac, but in real life, I definitely am not one. I find it interesting that that's what you're comparing, Dan, the odd of you being the Messiah, LeBron James or Tom Cruise. But we'll leave that aside for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that that is that does have the assumption that there is always a messiah at any one time but well i said so that time period if you don't consider if you don't account for time period uh, okay yeah. sure, right sure. so if you don't account so if there is one it's like one in one in one in eight billion. yeah well i mean you know that's interesting you know because you you think then about like say the the dalai lama or whatever how whenever right. one dies a new one immediately is created so you know that th- you know th- there is something to that maybe there is always a messiah right and it you know, passes on as soon as the current one ceases. Right. And, and or even, you know, we could even go into uh, Denon, your territory here. There's always a pope running around. Right. Um, so despite <laughs> well, the fact that they get voted in. Yeah, no, but there's they can brief speak moments where there's no pope. Right. Because you got to go from right. the death to the election. So there's a little <laughs> right, bit of a time right. delay in the popes. <laughs> yeah. And I love that God's yeah. a, uh, he's into democracy as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, although rigged, rigged. Dem- he, he's into authoritarian <laughs> democracy, <laughs> like, like Russian democracy, kind of. <laughs> Uh, but you know, here's what, so here's another interesting thing, right? So in in this movie, you know, it requires a sacrifice, right? That's really mm-hmm. what they're saying yeah. is that one of them must must you know c- commit a sacrifice, offer a sacrifice. That's probably better. Yeah, uh, offer a yeah. sacrifice. And so the definition of sacrifice, I think, is interesting here. So I found two definitions. Number one, this is more the biblical definition, which is the act of slaughtering an animal or person or surrendering a possession in an offering to a deity. That's really what they're asking here, yeah. right? 
Second definition, an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. Uh, this theme of sacrifice, one thing for another, this is often a theme, you know, in literature throughout human history, mostly religious, you know, not strictly biblical, but there's a lot in the Bible. Uh, this, the idea of sacrifice is, you know, kind of ubiquitous, but imagine you're on the other side of this equation, right? Imagine you're one of the four people who truly believes that the apocalypse is going to happen, convincing two people you've never met before that they must offer the ultimate sacrifice. That is a pretty daunting task, I believe. Yeah, I mean, and and, and I think, so in the context of the movie, what I find interesting um, is why you, so, so there's two things going on, and I know we're going to talk about the visions secondly. Um, Dan. We will. But why would you show up with creepy, scary mm -hmm. weapons if your yeah, goal was to convince someone of this? <laughs> right. That's a good like, question. Yeah. They, they don't seem to have the best marketing plan <laughs> going into it. Mm. Um, you want to go Jehovah Witness route, you're saying. Show up in suits and ties and stuff. Yeah, I, and anything helmets. other than scary, rusty, sure. dangerous weapons. That's the Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, you have to wonder, is did they do that because that's in the visions, which we'll discuss, and they just copied what's in the vision? I mean, maybe. I mean, it, it's really interesting to think about. Um, or did they, or is that just all they could get and they knew they needed something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the weapons are interesting. The weapons are interesting. But th this idea of sacrifice, I think, is kind of fascinating, too, because, you know, because even in the Bible, so we're going to go in your route here, Denon. We're, right. we're going to hit your wheelhouse here a little bit. You know, um, so even, you know, famously, Jesus sacrificed himself. Now, I'm going to say he allegedly sacrificed himself. <laughs> right. Because what we see, he's you know, he gets crucified. But then like three days later, he's back. Right. <laughs> he's coming back. You know, he's like, hey, <laughs> you know, it's like, was it a sacrifice? We the humanity still got Jesus back. You know, so this feels like a little bit of a swerve, Denon. You know, I'm not going to hold you accountable for the Bible, but, you know, this doesn't feel like a true sacrifice like we actually see in this movie. Well, you know, it it's, goes to one of those interesting things, Dan, that I'm going mm -hmm. back to the magic route here for a moment. Right. Okay. All right. Um, throughout history, it, what what fascinates me is people have felt the need to control nature through mm -hmm. magical means. Right. So mm -hmm. the, the sacrifice that I love the two definitions you read and the animal human one was always, for the most part, uh, uh, you know, sort of an apparent attempt to control nature to get the gods to do what you wanted. There was something mm -hmm. bad with the harvest. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I do feel that there was the, the, the I'm not often cynical. The cynic in me, there's a little bit of the priest controlling the population, right? Like you want the sheep, you want the good sheep. There we go. Right. So, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. you bring the good sheep to me and life will be better. Um, and for me, what I find fascinating about this theme of sacrifice is despite, you know, I think the obvious statements in the Bible that God is trying to tell us that that magical sacrifice isn't the way the world works, humans mm -hmm. refuse to let go of that. Um, and so when I talk about this all the time, one of my favorite to bring up is the Noah story where God seems to be wiping mm -hmm. us out. Plenty seems. of flood stories, plenty of apocalypse stories. But the Bible one says, no, look, there's a rainbow at the end. and I'm never going to do this again. So I don't understand why wackos quote God as the source of, you know, disasters when God promised wackos he wasn't going to do this anymore right yeah. so yeah yeah if, if i may call people wackos i don't know if that's appropriate I think offense anymore being called a wacko but yeah yeah it's okay well because it, you do see lots of there's lots of stuff that goes on there's but a lot of that and and yeah, so yeah what's interesting to me is there's also two very different definitions of christ's sacrifice the one when you yeah. read both of them, right? There's a view of it yeah. as the traditional, oh, sacrifice because we were bad and we have to make it clean. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a much more Franciscan idea of showing us the power of love, which is a very different twist on it. I think that was, that was Huey Lewis, I think, actually. And that could be Huey Lewis, too, exactly. Yeah. I think I think they're yeah. both. <laughs> they they yeah. teamed up for that one, Dan. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and that's what I find fascinating about the movie is it focuses yeah. on this magical sacrifice. Like like this magic stuff is happening in nature that's bad, and if you magically do this, it'll somehow, somehow your act will connect 
to these things in nature. Um, and mm-hmm. whereas, yeah, I'm much. I, I Dan, you're an athlete. We know sacrifice right. is necessary. In fact, Ben mm-hmm. and I have learned from you the sacrifice necessary to make this show as perfect as it mm-hmm. is, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> so the sacrifice for the greater good, I think we all understand. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not a strong biblical theologian, <laughs> Dan, and I'm. I'm hoping you know this because I, I know from my uh, biblical education as a youngster that you know th- there's talk about the animal and the crop sacrifice and how God would accept those sacrifices by like how the smoke uh flew yes yeah blew as you burned it that's right is that is that like a confirmed thing or was that just what the priest said so this is where the cynical in me comes in right because if you look at it over the history through the bible the whole temple sacrifice is what we eventually both in the jewish and and the catholic and christian religions we move away from and give up on and realize that that's not what was core Right. You have Jesus Mm -hmm. cleaning the temple of the money changers and stuff because this whole business had built up around it. So there was Mm -hmm. that was never confirmed. The smoke there, Ben. Okay. Okay. That's well. And again, the sacrifice thing—it's interesting, right? Because in the Bible, it's they t- there are sacrifices, but they never seem they never seem real, right? Like I mentioned, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but it does feel like the writer killed off his main character. Audience hated it, and so he was like, "Okay, we got to bring him back. How do we bring him back? Resurrection, right?" Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did the same thing with Sherlock Holmes, right? Uh, he killed off Sherlock, and then it was like, oh, boy, people don't like this. Got to bring him back. You know, the Aztecs, you want to talk about real sacrifice, like those dudes really sacrificed people. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was legitimate. But there's another one, Denon, another sacrifice here, most famous, Genesis 22, where Abraham is asked yep. to kill his son Isaac, sacrifice him. And God makes him go through the whole deal. You know, taking him up there, pre- prepping him. He's, you know, he's worrying him the whole time. Then he gets up there. And he's like, hey, you know, if this was the 90s, he would be like, hey, psych, hey, just JK, JK, Abe, uh, you know, we'd have to do that. It's like, what's the point of that? You know, there's so then and then this this poor lamb is it gets his, you know, he's wandering around a little goofy, gets his horns caught in a bush. And that's the guy who gets killed is this ram. What does God want with a, a ram spirit? You know, he could just take that individually. And and also, how is that a sacrifice if he just stumbles across it? You know, uh, it's not really it's not really his ram wasn't on his on his farm. It just you know he could have killed a worm if you wanted to. So that again, that doesn't feel like sacrifice. Not the type that we actually see in this movie where these people are asked to truly make a real choice. And, and that's where, Dan, I think for me, this is why the movie wasn't really um, accurate to the true underlying nature of the biblical sacrifice, because mm-hmm. I think what the Bible is telling us is it's the second sacrifice definition that you mentioned that is more important, right? It's it's actually do, giving up things for the greater good that matter. Um, and that Abraham, um, you know, God appreciated the fact that Abraham was willing to go the whole way, but pointed out to Abraham that this is not actually what I want. I don't want you killing your son. So if this movie was biblical, as you just pointed out, at the last minute, there would have been an intervention and a goat would have walked by and they would have just shot the goat and the apocalypse would have ended, right? I I think that would have been the, the true biblical ending to the movie, Dad. Maybe well, it's, it's so the first definition is act of slaughtering an animal or person. So right. that's part of it. Yeah, uh, and uh, or surrendering our possession to offering to a deity. So that would still happen, mm-hmm. right? That could if that that did happen, and an act of giving up something valued. I would say that his partner is a value to him, yeah, no. or something more important, which would be the rest of humanity. So they still hold true to the definition. No, they both hold. They do both. But I'm just saying, you only need the second, not the first. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, yeah, a goat could have walked by that they could have sacrificed. <laughs> but we also don't see into the future of the movie. For all we know, the partner does get resurrected. <laughs> it's true. We don't see we don't see him popping out and, you know, doing that whole surprise ending. We don't we don't see that. That's true. That would be a twist. That a twist. <laughs> that would be a twist. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Uh, so but anyway, you know, it's interesting how in history you do see lots of sacrifices used to hold off the you know, hold off destruction, um, which is, it's just interesting that like in history, you're asked to give something up to get something else. But when you think about it, that is kind of life. You know, you mentioned, yeah. you know, mentioned me, Denon, and yeah, I slave away for this show. I, I sacrifice a lot, but in the end, 
I've got what I think is a great show uh, with with two of my two of the most brilliant minds in in the world. So is it worth it? Yes, but that is a sacrifice. You have to give up something to get something, and that is frankly uh, a rule of life. No, and that's what I find fascinating. I see. I totally agree with you on that. And the human psychology piece that I just don't understand fully is mm-hmm. we take something that makes a lot of sense in our individual life at a practical level, right? There is a direct mm-hmm. connection between, you know, whether it's this show, whether it's athletic, you know, um, working to be a better athlete or whether it's improving some other aspect of your life. We all understand mm-hmm. that connection between what you gave up and the better you thing you get out of it, right? Yes. Um, and that that is real. I, I, I don't know why in this day and age, so many people still hold on to what I called earlier and I stand by like this magical view of Mm -hmm. both God and nature, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you know, nature is just nature and it does a lot of crazy stuff. And if you're curious to learn a little bit more about that, I have a new YouTube, Dan. Is that right? Yes, the physics of X, where X is everything except politics. And episode three was evil and suffering. So, you know... You know, one of those oh. light topics, but it's very yeah. apocalypse adjacent. Um. Fantastic. Well, I mean, that, that's a, it's a great. And I mean, look, that's what you want, right? We're, we're going dark sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes you got to go dark to see the light then. And I think that's what you're saying. No, definitely. And, and but there is this weird human belief throughout history. And it still exists that somehow nature isn't just the laws of physics. And you could do something magical to make it go better, um, despite no evidence historically that we've ever been able to shift a hurricane um, through, you know, well, I guess we haven't tried recently um, through right, real experimental right. tests, human sacrifice, and I hope we don't, but. <laughs> well, oh, sacrifice. I was thinking that I, I know a lot of people pray about hurricanes, but how yeah. do you know, um, you know, if it changes course and still hits land, how do you know? Why did the people who now got hit not uh, pray? Yeah, no, always a challenge. <laughs> Why were their prayers not answered, yeah. I guess, is maybe the better way to put it. You know, but there is some, you know, this is interesting. This is going to go into our next topic. You mentioned the seeing visions. I want to talk about this because in this group, you know, this group of four see visions and they believe it to be true uh, and they want to hold off the apocalypse. But there is some very interesting science here, both on seeing visions, but also, you know, you mentioned, Denon, you know, about not, there not being any experimental evidence basically for magical thinking. But there there have been experiments done where people, you know, we are our own reality. And we have seen where even the thought, uh, you know, you can adjust things around you simply by thinking in a certain way. And quantum, I think quantum physics allows for this because there are all the possibilities are out there. Right. And it's only the observation where we collapse the waveform. So I think there actually is a scientific basis for being able to adjust your outcomes. Well, right. Th- there is from that perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to parse your question here, Dan. Um, so am I. Yeah. So <laughs> but, you know, I think th- this is an interesting question of visions. Right. Um, yeah. Can you. There's two sides of visions, right? Are visions mm-hmm. a fixed thing or mm-hmm. are visions a way of manipulating reality around you? Um, now, right. if I was to commit to one thing that is very solid and real that can't be impacted by mm-hmm. quantum physics or what you look about, and that would be the I am a physics phenom um, F triple GBT mug. Right. Absolutely. This, this is solid. This is real. I mean, you know it because it's got our pictures on it. Um, mm-hmm. And so how can that be a figment of your imagination or magical? It is exactly yeah. there. And, you know, it holds liquids every time, no matter what you're thinking time. or doing. And if you are left, if you make the wrong choice and you ripe out the rest of the world and it's just you and your two buddies, you can at least yeah. continue to drink coffee out of your mug or Diet Coke <laughs> or tea or whatever your favorite drink is. Uh, and that's the important part here, Denon, is that you're always able to drink coffee when you need it. Well, and I think the other important thing is if if you're out in the woods at a cabin, you probably want a water bottle to uh, hold. So when you go on a hike, uh, you know, you don't get dehydrated and cause a sacrifice that doesn't do anything 
Uh, because you pass out in the middle of the woods without any water. <laughs> Those would be horrible apocalyptic outcomes. Uh, and not only can you get water devices, but you can get shirts with all kinds of great sayings on them and even sweatshirts. FGGBT.com forward slash merch is the place to do this. But I want to talk seriously about visions here, Denon. You did a nice swerve, and I appreciate it because my question was crap. But I got a better question for you here. Uh, so the seeing visions. You know, there is a lot of study that has been done on um, remote viewing. You know, the CIA put a lot of money in the 70s into psychic phenomenon, um, the ability to see things. You know, remote viewing is basically the ability to move your consciousness around the world and throughout time. And the interesting thing is it's possible. Not only is it possible, it's incredibly accurate. And on top of that, through scientific experimentation, they discovered that it is inherent in everyone. So everyone has this ability. It's just a matter of how talented are you and whether you work at it. This I thought was was pretty, you know, for me, mind opening stuff that, you know, gives credence to the fact that visions can be real. You know, where you see them, where they come from, I don't know, but there's been real experimental evidence that this is true. You know, and in addition to that, Dan, one of the things that fascinates me in the vision space um, mm. is the, 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 the other experiments that have been done is highlighting or activating the part of the brain that is also activated when people report having visions, right? Interesting, so, okay. So there's a part of the brain like that if you're having visions, lights up an MRI or other things, and you mm -hmm. can activate that part of the brain and people report having a vision. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things I find fascinating a little bit is scientists then claim, see, visions are fake because we can activate it and create fake visions. Um, and I, I find that a weird, interesting statement because we can also activate fake hunger, but hunger's not fake, right? Yeah, it's a strange conclusion. It's yeah. a strange conclusion. Mm -hmm. I think a, yeah. a more interesting conclusion is if there is a part of the brain that we know is connected to visions, how is that working? Is it working as a detector of something? Is it a conduit for something? Um, and if you have a model, like I know some people do, and I've mentioned mm -hmm. before Don Hoffman here at UCI, who talks yep. about conscious objects as the fundamental part of reality. You know, mm -hmm. if consciousness is more fundamental than physical reality, you actually have a mechanism to start explaining the vision piece. Um, for me personally, I think the seeing things remotely that are current can make mm -hmm. a little more sense than seeing the future. The future part gets very tricky and we can talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if you think about visions, you know, we all have vision, well, not everyone dreams, but most people dream, which you could think of as a vision. I mean, th this isn't an un um this isn't an unrealistic thing and something we all experience. And for it to be a a thing that's happening right now, that's as Dr. Den alluded to, um we can imagine things and view things based on inferences we have about the world as we know it, mm -hmm. and then that can match what's actually happening. That's not a very weird thing. Um, now, knowing when the apocalypse is going to happen, that's that's the much stranger problem. No, I think it is. But, you know, a lot of these experiments, what the, here's what's inter interesting about them is they're different from dreams because they're they're on demand. They're specific. They're strong. Uh, and they're and they're highly accurate. And that's what kind of makes it interesting. But, you know, dreaming is a funny thing, too, because some people, you know, I, I'm included in this, you know, talk. I'm going to go woo woo. But I've had dreams, you know, that I know parts of them have come true. Now, is that probability? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the degree of accuracy? How unique is that moment in a dream versus, you know, if I dreamt I was in a car well, I'm in a car often. So like that doesn't you know, <laughs> yeah. that's not that impressive. Well, is it also self-actualization. Did you dream something and then make it happen because you dreamt it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's you know, that's extraordinarily an interesting question. So. I don't know, but I know that I've experienced this phenomenon on a very low level. And I've also, mm -hmm. you know, I've also known people who were able to, who claim to be psychic and were able to know things that they could not have known. And I just find when, when, when I encounter that, and I've got a, an extraordinarily high degree of, uh, you know, high bar for anything that would impress me as being weird, I've seen it, I've seen glimpses of it, and that's what I think really intrigues me, that there is something out there. And, you know, Dennett, I think what you alluded to, and you didn't want to say it for, you know, this is a Halloween episode, but that possibly the parts of our brain are an antenna for the psychic you know, power. And I don't think, Ben, you would want to even fathom the idea that part of your brain could be an antenna. 
No, well, that that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, and I also would want to see you know truly rigorous science scientific experiments for these things as well, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to these psychic phenomena. Right. But um, you know, I, it's not unreasonable to think that our brains can receive something, right? Mm-hmm. Our our brains are electrical devices, right? And what is what is an antenna but an electrical device, right? You know, we we know we can infer, or not we not that we can infer. We know that we can project things into brains. Like that is a thing right. that has been done using powerful electronics. Um, you can stimulate neurons in specific ways from outside of your head. Now that's a very strong effect, and to do it at a weak level right. with like powerful visions is a, is a much tougher leap but it's not impossible you know what i've just learned here Mm -hmm. um is i feel for a fact ben just confirmed his robotic nature having admitted that his brain is an antenna and electronic (laughs) um that's all i heard i i don't know what else is being said dan but i'm I'm kind of that's this halloween episode is going very very (laughs) south quickly for me um and i'm getting very scared Well, that, that would be a sign of the apocalypse, then, if Ben did admit that. And I think that, uh, you know, it's for a sign of the apocalypse, let's talk about the science of the apocalypse, right? Because one of the things mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone talks about the apocalypse, you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm obsessed with it, but I do enjoy talking about it on the show, whether it's viral, you know, robotic, zombie, uh, you know, fish man, whatever the, the apocalypse <laughs> is going to be. I, I, it just it fascinates me. But, I, you know, I, I this got me thinking, and this is a Halloween episode, so I went dark, but what would it take to destroy the world? Like, what would it be an apocalyptic-level event? And, you know, obviously, you know, a, 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 a war, a nuclear war with Russia uh, be an apocalyptic event, but those are boring, right? This is this is a story about, you know, as you mentioned, Denon, magical, uh, this magical being you don't believe in called God. <laughs> if What if God were to destroy the earth, quote-unquote, naturally, you know, th- truly the way God intended, how would that work? <laughs> Uh, and Ben, I'm going to go to you first, actually, on this one. If you wanted, sure. you know, uh, let's call you God for a minute. You want to destroy the earth. How are you doing it? What are you, how are you going about this? I mean, the easiest way is to hurl a, a big space object at the planet. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you think about the asteroid that took out the dinosaurs, that didn't end all life, but it ended the life of all the, pretty much all of the major uh, large animals mm-hmm. on the planet at the time. Mm-hmm. And if you go back in time further to like say the the collision that created the moon, right. had the plant had Earth not still been like oh just a ball of lava at the time, uh, right. you know, that would have certainly ended a lot of life. Um, and so a collision like that would certainly, in my mind, be one way. Uh, to end life on Earth the natural way. That's interesting. I like the way you mentioned that because in some ways, you know, like Kyle, I just was, uh, you know, I went to a a baseball game with a friend of mine. They have a small kid and the kid fell down and whacked his head. Not from afar, but he just kind of spun around and fell. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know, kids have very soft heads. Like their bones are more like cartilage and malleable, right? And that's kind of what you're Mm -hmm. saying is the Earth was like a a little kid back then and it was more (laughs) malleable. So getting struck by a gigantic meteor just kind of spun it out a little bit and created a moon instead of destroying the earth completely if the, the rocks or bone had hardened. I do like that metaphor. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if the softness of the earth was, was, was an important part of that, but... Oh, it was. It was. It's certainly possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, the big thing is that it got hit by a very big thing, and, and that's that released enough material to make a moon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so I, and this is interesting because, you know, we just talked, uh, you know, on an episode about the one ring with one of my favorite guests of all time, Henry G, who wrote a book called uh, about, about the history of life on Earth. And he talks about mm-hmm. these extinction events. And, you know, you're talking about the end of the Cretaceous period. Am I saying that correctly? Cretaceous, Cretaceous period. Thank you. Where an asteroid hits the Earth, causes a, causes a global cataclysm. A couple things are interesting here when I was looking this up. Um, first that something actually hit the asteroid belt, they believe, and that that's what sent one of these asteroids hurtling towards Earth. You know, we normally think of asteroids being kind of like these bullets in the universe that are kind of like randomly shooting at us. Uh, But we're a pretty Mm -hmm. small target, so the odds (laughs) of them hitting us are pretty slim. We can all agree on that, right? But this is closer. This is like point-blank range. So something big smashes into the asteroid belt. And this is, you know, imagine... Like a, you're on a billiard table, you know, hitting the eight ball in is is easy if you're aiming for it, hard if you're shooting it randomly. But if you take that the cue ball and hit all of those balls at once, they go everywhere. You know, we've all seen seen that shot. And this is what I imagined was like in the asteroid belt. 
and it hits the Earth, uh, and that crater is still visible today. It's at the Yucatan. It's called the Kixaklub Crater. You can still go to this, guys. How cool is that? You can see the crater that killed the dinosaurs if you want to take a trip, yeah, just a small little trip to Mexico. Uh, or Cheek, cheek Shulub, if you want to say it correctly. Say it correctly. Thank you. It, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it is fascinating. And, it, and, and we're lucky that we found it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 65 million years ago. There was a good, ch- and we knew it was a um, ocean hit based on what the evidence we see in North America of, of tidal waves and all sorts of horrible things that in the inland sea of North America that occurred at that point. Um, we're lucky it didn't get sucked uh, under a plate and mm. uh, melted away into the mantle again. Um, it, it's very cool that we found this because there's lots of other impacts that we can't find. You know, and I think in that space, Dan and Ben, you know, thinking about ways to wipe it out, the asteroid's the obvious, easy first one. I <laughs> think the the other way to go, if you want to go fairly quickly, I, I know mm. people think of the tsunamis and the tidal waves. But, you know, they're only really going to get the coastal regions. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they're going to get the apocalypse you're looking for, Dan. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. I want something I mean, big. I want something, you know, 96 I mean, yeah. plus percent yeah. of life gone. I mean, yeah. we might be gone because we're a little too close to the coast. But I really think, I think massive volcanic activity is the other one. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you radically change the atmosphere. Now, it's interesting. I think that's very similar to the asteroid, right? The asteroid locally obviously wipes out a lot of stuff. I think we forget, you know, the the extinction was fast on a geological time scale, but it wasn't like days. You know, you right, still yeah, needed yeah. you still needed, you know, to have the stuff hang out, affect the atmosphere, affect the w- weather and climate and yep. and mm-hmm. the large species just couldn't make it anymore and luckily we mammals won. You right. know. Yeah. Well, and there's some debate on that too. Uh, there, some some of the theories of the extinction are that uh, as that material uh, left the planet, right? Because it's essentially like a thousand H bombs or, or whatever going off at once. I forget the exact number. Mm. Um, all that rock gets ejected from the planet, but it doesn't get ejected from the Earth gravity field, so it comes back down. Yeah, right. So there there. It, there's there's very good evidence that basically we had molten rock raining down on the entire planet right, yeah. within like the first hour of that of that collision. Yep. And you know if you're a if you're a T Rex and you're getting pelted by um, little mel- molten glass uh, objects, uh, you, you know you're not going to do so hot. <laughs> well, and, and the impact caused I think a thousand kilometer wind as the sound of the smash cr- went across the earth. Right. Uh, sulfur dioxide was shot out. I think some of the um, some of the material was vaporized into sulfur dioxide, which you know sent the earth into like a, a cold spell for yeah. a long period. There's a lot of damage. Yeah. It wasn't just the impact. Basically, all the big stuff got roasted within like that day, yeah. <laughs> and then the little stuff, the little things that couldn't you know, eat seeds that were buried underground, mm-hmm. uh, somehow didn't, you know, somehow survived on that. They all starved. <laughs> and basically, only the scavengers really uh, had a chance to make it. Yeah, and the cockroaches. I mean, because someone was, someone hung out, right? So the, cockro- the cockroaches made yeah. it. They've been around yeah, for a while. the bugs were around, and they stayed. Yeah, they, they certainly did. Well, Denon, I like what you said, here because at the end of the, I'm going to get this wrong, end of the Permian phase uh, era, mm-hmm. is that right? No, that one got yeah. So that's a big one. So there's two here, and this is what you're talking about, Denon, volcanic yep. activity. You know, you had, a, in, yeah. in a gigantic plume of magma came from China first, and about five million years later, a huge one in Siberia. Uh, so it's basically all this sulfur and you know magma from the earth shoots out and basically acidifies the ocean, tore the o- ozone to shreds, numerous greenhouse gases. Uh, this extinguished ninety six percent of life on Earth. That's a pretty high yeah. threshold. Then, and that that to me counts as an apocalyptic event. Yeah. You know, and and if I recall, that's a better job than the asteroid did. Yeah, even. that's ninety six percent. The other one's eighty four. It's ninety six. Yeah. And the reality is the only mass extinction we know about from an asteroid is that one, the Cretaceous, mm-hmm. that killed the dinosaurs. All the other ones seem to be climate change, probably volcanism kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
Volk. I like the volcanism. That's good. Uh, but yeah, so you're right, Denon. Uh, this is the way to go. The the volcanoes. That that yeah. might be the way to go. If you're if you're if you're a deity out there and you want to extinguish life on Earth, I think that's that's the the, the route to go down. If I'm understanding it correctly. <laughs> uh, so I think we've uh, have we covered the apocalypse. Uh, have we gotten it all in? I, I believe we have. You think um, so? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Well, if you have anything else, uh, if you're listening out there, if we've missed anything about the apocalypse you want to add, let us know about it. You can get in touch with you can get in touch with us on social media. We are on X, formerly Twitter at FGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGBT. You can send us an email, questions at FGBT.com. And go to the website if you want to learn more, FGBT.com. But you can get in touch with us individually, Dennett. Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on all the major social media by flipping my name at Den and Michael, except for Facebook. You got to stick a prof in there at Prof Den and Michael. Uh, my website's denandmichael.com. And as I mentioned, you can now watch Physics of X, where X is everything except politics on YouTube. But that is actually Michael Denon because I got my YouTube channel a uh, very long time ago. <laughs> I mean, not 4.6 billion years ago no. or even 66 million years ago. Uh, and luckily, it didn't go extinct with that exactly. uh, with that, that creative crash. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Ben? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And you can find me on X, formerly Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram, at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind. And I have a website as well. DanielJGlenn.com is where you find me on the internet. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination, or dare I say, world destruction. So you want to be very careful with this information. When given the choice, always be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a youtube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash daniel j glenn and once again if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening